We'll take that fountain of truth that you have on your lap or in your hands, which is the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, and turn to the book, back to the book of Galatians. We are not galloping through Galatians anymore because we're coming to the end. Now we're just walking, okay? We're coming to the end of the book of Galatians, toward the end of chapter 6 this morning. And I want to reiterate what Brock said with reference to the resources, particularly on the table. There are so many reading plans and devotional books, and I wanted to mention them again likewise for you to take a look at them, but also a number of those books or plans for uh, devotion, reading, uh, were written by uh, J.D. Watson, a Hebrew word for the day, a Greek word for the day, and you don't have to be Hebrew or Greek to enjoy either one of those. He's our, Deborah, my good friend, Doc Watson, pastors in Meeker, Colorado. So if you're out in that area, go to Grace Bible Church. I get it right. And his dear wife is with us this morning. Debbie Watson is here. Why don't you just welcome her for being, being here, here with us. They're just such, such great such great friends, and such uh, Doc has been such a help to my own life and uh, sanctification. So grateful for that. Grateful for that. He's also a professional critic, and I hope he gets this recording. My my life. And it's mutual. I think it'd be very hard to find a, hear a better answer than the one that Brian gave. When he was asked, if you were to die today and stand before the judgment of God, the God who knows all your thoughts and all your deeds and all your words, what would you tell him why he ought to let you into his heaven. Brian said, I wouldn't say anything. All I could do would be to point to Jesus Christ. Can you imagine a better answer than that? Well, in this book of Galatians, the Apostle Paul is pointing to Jesus Christ and him crucified from beginning to end. From beginning of the book of Galatians to the end of the book of Galatians, it is about the good news. And what the good news of Jesus Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection accomplished for sinners. It is the good news, and as Marshall pointed out to us yesterday, part of the background of that word, good news, is as a declaration of a victory. And the victory was at the cross and in the empty tomb. Can anybody say amen to that? The victory was won over sin and death and hell in the person and in the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is our good news. And one of the ways that the apostle is expressing that in the book of Galatians is with reference to that good news allows us to gain a righteousness before God that we do not have in ourselves. There is none righteous, finish it with me, there's none righteous, no, not, not one. 
All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So how are we going to be made right with him? And one of the ways that the apostle develops that in the book of Galatians is with reference to what we call the doctrine of justification. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And in that justification, he's pointing out to us that by faith and by faith alone, it's like almost every week we've pointed over to the wall, haven't we, Marshall? Because how do we gain that righteousness? We only gain it by, everybody say it with me, just look over there and preach it with me, okay? We gain it only by grace alone through, because of, there it is. And there's that great exchange, you with me? It's that great exchange. It is your sin or my sin upon Christ and his paying the penalty of our sin upon that cross. cross. And when we place our faith in him, our sin goes to his account and his perfect, absolute, sinless righteousness is imputed to our account. And one way, in one way alone, there it is again on the basis of of unmerited favor from the God of heaven through faith and faith alone. Not faith plus or minus or anything other than what it is. But it's always directed toward the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Now, why did Paul write this book of Galatians? Because he's defending that message. Because from the time of the fall until Christ comes, this message is under attack. The gospel is always and always will be under attack. And so he's, he's developing, he's reminding them, he is redefining, and he's coming back to the gospel, and he's defending the gospel against attack by those who we call, and rightly so, we call them Judaizers. And they were people who probably most likely came out of Jerusalem, and came into the area of Galatia, these churches, there's more than one, and probably more than this particular area. But they came and they said, listen, we're with you on this about Jesus. We believe about him being the Messiah. And we're with you about, you know, being part of you with reference to the, to the church. And it's all good, but we're here to kind of clarify the Apostle Paul's message. And in so doing, they said, yes, that's all true about that, but you also must be circumcised and come under the law. So their message ended up being, yes, it's Jesus and what he's done, plus works, plus man, plus human effort, plus the law. And in so doing... Well, let's turn with me for a moment to the book of Matthew, chapter 23. They were not only themselves trusting in a false gospel, and we'll probably bounce back, I know we will, to Matthew 23, because so much of what Paul is saying in the verses that we look at this morning is echoing the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible has a way of being consistent with itself, doesn't it? But I want you to see what was so bad about those, and bad even today about those who will pervert the gospel. Matthew chapter 23, 
verse 15. If you're looking at that verse, would you say amen? amen. Notice it begins with woe. Those are strong, condemning words from the Savior himself. Woe, condemnation. What? To you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel around on sea and land, and, and land to make one proselyte, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourself. One thing to reject the gospel, it's another thing to pervert the gospel and leave other people away from the gospel. That is as serious as it gets from the God of heaven. That qualifies to be someone who would qualify to have a millstone hung around your neck and be tossed into the sea. Nothing offends God more than a perversion of the gospel. We'll come back to the book of Galatians. So that's what's going on in the book and what the apostle is, is defending. And I think that Philip Ryken can help us with reference to just giving us an overview of how that impacted the Galatians. Follow along as I read this quote. The Judaizers said that circumcision was still a prerequisite for salvation. It never was, but they're continuing in that. And the continuing after it was already settled at the first Jerusalem council in Acts chapter 15. That's the point. Okay, back to the quote. They summarized their missionary program with the following slogan. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Acts 15. This was a way of saying that a convert had to become a Jew in order to become a Christian. For the Judaizers, salvation meant the cross plus circumcision, which meant the cross plus works of the law. There is a continual temptation for the church to turn the gospel into the cross plus something else. Whether that something else is a deed or a duty, a sacrament or a social cause, the problem is always the plus. For the gospel to be the gospel, the cross has to stand alone. Is that not a great quote? Amen? There it is. And there is what was going on with these Judaizers leading others astray. So Paul is doing what he often does, and so much of the New Testament letters are defending the gospel or correcting false doctrine itself. Now, then, Paul conveys, as just a covering the last time we were in Galatians, in verses, really in verse 8, 9, and 10, he reminds them to sow to the Spirit, um, in verse 8, and then in verses 9 and 10, he tells them, okay, now put the gospel to work with reference to, to your life. You see, we're not only saved by the gospel, but we live the gospel. For by grace are you saved through, everybody say it with me, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of your, it is a gift of God, not of, lest any man should, and never end there. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, unto good works. Works that come from 
that relationship that we have with the Lord Jesus Christ. Not works to get to heaven. Can you say amen to that? Not works about trying to get to heaven, but works that flow out of a new life in Jesus Christ. So he encourages them to do that in verse 9 and 10. Look as I read those verses. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. He talks back in verse 8 about sowing and reaping. Verse 10, so then while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people and especially to those who are of the household of the faith and the body of Christ. Brothers and sisters in the faith, to all people, a testimony and serving others but primarily to those that you are personally obligated to because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Make me a blessing to someone today, says the old hymn, right? And I trust that that's a desire of your heart. Now, if your Bible is like mine, and if it's not, please see me that you can get one just like mine, okay? But if your Bible is like mine, it tends to, uh, before you get to verse 11, mine says, conclusion, I don't know if yours does that or not, but we kind of transition. We do not kind of. We transition in verse 11. We kind of have the the end of this particular letter in these verses 11 through verse 18. And one of the ways that we see that is that look what the apostle says in verse 11. He says, look, it's an imperative. He really wants the attention of his readers here. So he says, see, take a look. Look at what, Paul? With what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. Driving home now what he is about to say. Now, if we look at other sections of the New Testament at the end of various letters, we're going to see where it's common for Paul to acknowledge in various times where he will say, something like he does in 1 Corinthians 16, Colossians chapter 4, or 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, he will say, I'm writing this in my own hand. His greeting, his closing words, I'm writing this in my own hand. Well, let's just look at one of those. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 21. And commonly, you know this, don't you? Commonly that the apostle would have a scribe, uh, a secretary, uh, it's called an amanuensis, somebody who he would convey his words to that then were written down. Was that because Paul had bad eyes? Perhaps. He talks about the Galatians would even have plucked their eyes out for him. They loved him so much. Was it referring to the fact? Oftentimes we wonder about that. Was it his eyesight or was that his, what we talk about in Corinthians? Paul had a thorn in the what? Everybody, he had a thorn in the, he had a thorn in the flesh. Was it his eyesight? We cannot nail that down for certain. But we know this, oftentimes uh, within the New Testament period that the apostolic writers would confirm the letter that was being sent with their own closing, with their own um, writing, with their own signature to authenticate the letter as being from them because there was often time other letters that were said to be from the apostles that were not. 
So one of the reasons that he could be, that he is doing this, or that it was done, to authenticate the letter. You're wondering, what am I doing in 1 Corinthians 16? Look at verse 21. There's an example. The greeting, this greeting, is in my own hand, Paul. But in our back to Galatians, here he's saying, look at what, look at with what large letters. Now, how many of you are like me in that when you write, you print, you don't do cursive? How many are like that? Yeah, you poor people. Whatever happened to cursive, right? But the Greek of the manuscripts tended to be in a, a cursive form of writing. And again, it may be with reference to Paul's eyes. It may not, but one way or another, he's, he's now very likely in, in larger letters printing what, he's, what he is saying at this time. Now, I believe that what the, uh, we try to teach the the preteens and the teens, likewise, in just learning how to study the Bible, we say that the context rules. The rule of context is that it rules. And I believe that it's not when he's saying with what large letters, he's not talking about the letter as a whole. He's talking about, here's what I've got to say, I want you to catch it. Because in the rest of this section in verses 11 through verse 18, he's not commending them. He doesn't mention any names. He doesn't praise God or thank God for them. He just simply closes the letter, look at verse 18, and says, grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Now, that's not necessarily unusual, but oftentimes he will commend the believers to whom he's writing. He is not commending them because if you start in chapter 1, you'll notice he says, I am perplexed about you that you are buying in to this business about Jesus plus. So I think he's driving this home here. And what he's doing in these last verses, in verses 11 through verse 18, is that he's doing one last slam dunk on the Judaizers. One last time, he's going to really expose their motives here and the background of where their message comes from. And he's doing one final appeal to these Galatians to join him in boasting in the cross and nothing else but the cross. And when we say the cross, we're talking about the work of the cross. We're talking about the toning work of Jesus Christ as substitute for sinners. So I believe that's what he is, he is doing here. If that's not exactly what he's doing, you can call that to my attention when we get to heaven. But I'm quite certain, based upon the context, he's got their attention in this. Closing words. And we're just going to look at verses 11. Well, we've already noted verse 11. We're really going to zero in on verses 12 and verse 13. And I want us to look at the characteristic of these Judaizers. Now, one of the things that can happen to us when we look at the Judaizers and we'll say, well, you know, we're not in that camp. We hold to Christ and Him alone who got it on the wall and everything. So we can, in a sense, when we identify this motive and manner of these Judaizers, we're kind of beating up on the bad guys. And that's kind of fun. That doesn't hurt us at all. Can you say amen to that? <laughs> Anybody want to say, go bad guys, you know? But here's the issue. All Scripture is from God, and all Scripture is not only from God, but it's profitable for us. And so here's what we're going to do this morning. When we look at the characteristic of these Judaizers, 
there's going to be warnings for ourselves and our own relationship with the Lord and our own walk. And I trust you're willing to go there with me. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my, with my own hands. My own hand. Now, I'm going to read 12 right through verse 13. Those who desire to make, now he's talking about those Judaizers, those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh, they try to compel you to be circumcised simply so that they will not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For those who are circumcised do not even keep the law themselves, but they desire to have you circumcised so that they might boast in your flesh. I want you to notice at the beginning of verse 12, it's so obvious right there, those who desire to make a good showing now, this, this, this first characteristic of these Judaizers, right from the text, is that they are motivated by the flesh. They're motivated by self-interest. Those who desire to make a good showing, where? What's the context? In the flesh. Now, the flesh is always about who? It's always about you. It's always about self. He, he, here is their flesh-driven, self-focused, ultimate purpose in what they are doing, in trying to compel. That word compel has the idea this is ongoing and they are continuing at it. They are not giving up on this. They are focused, their ultimate purpose, getting that done with you. It's not, he is telling us, it is not about God and it's not about you. It's about making who look good themselves. They are motivated by self-interest. It's all about the flesh. You know why? Because they're in the flesh. They're lost. It's about their own glory rooted in pride. And Paul is pointing out how this is nothing to do with a cross-centered message or life. Lost men want to make a good showing. That's one compound word in the text. It means of good face. They're putting on a good face. In old-fashioned terminology, they're show-offs in what they're doing. D. Aiken calls them manipulators. And their facade was in the sphere of the flesh, about externals. Putting on a good face to manipulate you to impress others in what they get you to do. Alan Cole says this, they wanted ecclesiastical statistics. They wanted to be able to report back to Jerusalem and say, this is how many I got. This is what I did. This is what I accomplished. Getting how many people to surrender to circumcision and come under the reality of grace plus law, which which it never was. That's the flesh, right? The flesh always focuses on self saying, look at what I am, look at who, who I am, what I've done. My, did Jesus have some things to say about that, didn't he? Back again to the Pharisees. But they all do their deeds to be noticed by, what's it say, by whom? By men, pressing others. 
They broaden their phylacteries and lengthen their tassels on their garments. They love the place of honor at banquets and the chief seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by men. They love the focus upon themselves. And Paul is saying, their message isn't about you. It's about them. About them. Beloved, listen, here's a great quote. I don't remember who it's from, but it's a great quote. The flesh takes great satisfaction in making displays of religious devotion that require no heart righteousness or reliance upon God. The most fleshy and ungodly person can learn to look religious with skill and fake sincerity. A person can be incredibly zealous religious-wise and totally godless in reality. And we have the example of that man in Luke 18 that Jesus told the story about that gave the grocery list of all of his accomplishments. And then the other man who said, Lord, be merciful to me, the sinner. One looked to himself, the other looked to Jesus Christ and him crucified. The flesh the flesh. May it never be, he says in verse 14, Paul, that I would boast, never be that I would boast except in the cross of Jesus Christ, not Paul's own accomplishments, but such is the capacity for the flesh, isn't it? Paul had much to say about his, about the reality of the flesh back in chapter 5. And I want to think for just a moment, how do you, as one who have trusted in Christ, I pray you have, if you haven't, I ask that you would do that today, I plead with you, but how do you, as someone who've trusted in Christ alone for your salvation, how do you be free of this, this issue of the flesh and a focus upon yourself? How do you be free of that? We had a lot to say about that back in Chapter 5 of the book of Galatians. You say, I want to be totally free, totally free of any of the self-focus that I can possibly have in life. I, I, want to be, I want to be free of anything that Paul's talking about in Romans 7. Things I don't want to do, I do. Things I do want to do, I don't. Oh, wretched man. I'd be free of that. Well, it's very simple. You need to go to heaven. Right? You need to go to heaven. But until you get there, Beloved, if you're in Christ, as he's mentioned back in chapter 5, you've got to walk in the Spirit. You've got to feed the Spirit, not the flesh. You've got to grow in the Word. You've got to understand sanctification. You've got to implement spiritual disciplines into your life so that you're growing more in Christ. And if you want a reminder of that, either listen to the message that we had in the first hour or see Zach right now, and he will remind you of the spiritual disciplines of a person who wants to walk in the Spirit and not walk in the flesh. But theirs was motivated by just that very thing. And we want, no, in Christ, we want him to be honored with the fact that our focus is upon him and not to ourselves. Can you say amen to that? So go back and memorize Galatians 2.20. Commit to memory Galatians 2.20. Preach it to yourself every day. 
I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. But not I. But Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's where we want to live. Can you say amen to that? Dying to self, dying to flesh, daily, exalting Christ, seeking to please God, seeking to grow in word and, and focus upon truth of God's word. Well, there's a second characteristic of him. You caught that when I read verse 12. And that is not only are they motivated by the flesh because they're in the flesh, they're living in that realm, they're lost. But look at verse 12 with me again. Those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh try to compel you to be circumcised. Why? Simply so that they will not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. Second characteristic of them, they are seeking to avoid any offense of the cross. Seeking to avoid any offense of the cross. And Jesus had a whole lot to say about the offense of the cross. They don't want that. They don't want that. So somehow they want to compromise in some way to avoid that persecution. They, They were not willing to pay the price of whatever that would be, persecution, very clearly in the context of the early church that came with identification of, and he says at the end of verse 12, the cross, the cross. But they wanted to identify with the church and be accepted as brethren, maybe even called Christians, but they didn't want to suffer for it. Wow. And Paul suffered not only what did he experience persecution from the Gentiles, from the Romans, when we think about persecution in the early church. We certainly think about the Romans, but he was persecuted by his own countrymen as well. Turn back just a few pages. You know that, but turn back with me to uh, 2 Corinthians, just one book back, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Just by way of example, just one verse, 1124. I just finished rereading a book that I read years ago, um, called Z. Um, used to have a thing in the back of a magazine called uh, Israel My Glory. And is, was as a young man, his family um, lived in Poland. Germans came in. He was a very early teen. They knocked on his door, family, took mom and dad, never saw him again took him, put him on a train. He ended up in the Warsaw Ghetto as a teen where everybody was trying to stay alive and not starve. He learned with some other teens how to slip out of the ghetto at night and go and run into the countryside and try to go in the ground where some farms were to just get anything to eat to stay alive. He ran, he thought, to stay alive. And as a Jew, he thought, well, if I could ever get to Israel, oh, that would, be, that would be glory. And he found a way to get there. And when he finally arrives in Israel, he's old enough to join the army and even fights in the Jewish wars. And in the course of time, in the midst of this, he's walking past a church. He hears some singing. He's wondering, what is it that they're singing? It caught his attention in the province of God. He goes in and he hears 
preaching from the Bible for the first time and through being followed up with somebody that told him about Christ, he ended up trusting Christ, his, not only his Messiah, but his Savior. His wife came to Christ. And he discovered that he experienced far more persecution from his own people by becoming a Christian. Immediately he lost his job. His wife would go to the store to try to buy some fruit or whatever else. She would be rejected. His kids had stuff thrown at him. Well, that was the Apostle Paul. In a much greater degree, chapter 11, 2 Corinthians 11, remember when it says in verse 24, five times I received from the Jews from his own people, that he says he would, he would give up his life to see them saved. And they're the ones who are persecuting him. Imagine. Imagine what that was like. Now, these Judaizers said, we've got to find a way out of that. So one of the ways that we're going to find a way out of that so that we don't have to experience any offense of the cross is that when you then experience circumcision, now in effect, in effect you become a Jew, and the Jews will put up with you. So now you can have one foot over here with reference to claiming to be a Christian, but one foot over here, so to speak, claiming to be a Jew, and, you, and the Jews won't give you the grief that they're giving others and persecution, and it might be a little more safe with reference to the church, although there's persecution there, and that'll be a way to not experience it. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. We are a Bible church. It's okay to move around our Bible, right? Thank you for you two people that nodded your head and affirmed that to be so. God bless you. Matthew 5. We love the Beatitudes, don't we? Characteristic of the kingdom. How blessed, happy, how joyous are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle. I'm in 5.5. They shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They're going to be satisfied. These beautiful beatitudes from Christ, people. And, and, but look at verse 10. Blessed are those who've been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Jesus said, count the what? Everybody tell me, count the what? Count the cost. Count the cost. Paul over there in 2 Corinthians speaks about all who seek to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Back to Galatians. You can't make claims to Christ and seek to live for Christ and convey Christ to others and not have some kind of cost for that. I don't think I know persecution anything close to what Paul knew, and I think you probably agree with me, right? But I'm convinced, and I'm sure you are, that your allegiance to Jesus Christ will put you to the test. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation. To not be ashamed of the gospel, to not be ashamed of Christ. We're put to the test, aren't we? We're put to the test. 
And we want to be like Peter and the other apostles who were flogged for their refusal to stop preaching Christ. And, and they went on their way, tell me, they went on their way rejoicing because they were, had been found worthy to suffer for his name's sake. And we believe Jesus Christ is worthy for whatever we would experience because it will never compare to what he did to redeem us. So they weren't, worth, they weren't willing to do that. They found a way out of that because they were lost and rejected any idea of a price to be experienced for the sake of the cross. One more characteristic. Back to our text. Motivated by self do all they could to avoid avoid any any offense that relates to the cross i want to go to heaven but i don't want to suffer for it whoa verse 13 for those who are circumcised do not even keep the law themselves but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh well this one's easy isn't it they were hypocritical Check. They were preaching one thing and living something else. I don't need to take you to Matthew again, do I? Because over and over again, what did Jesus say of those Pharisees? They are what? They are hypocrites. Nothing could be more detestable to God than that. They don't do the very thing which they require of others. And they, do that. they don't do that because they are of the flesh, and therefore they are blind to their own dilemma. They require others to keep the law as a necessity for salvation, but they don't keep it themselves. They were not honest. They were pretenders. They were phonies. Their religion was a pretense and a sham. Not only were they self-deceived, but they put an unbearable burden upon others. Their lives were evidence of the false gospel they propagated. So we're reminded, aren't we, that a religion of externals, of the flesh, of externals, of rituals, self-abasement, any form of religious activity doesn't change what? The heart. Ask Luther. Ask that monk Luther. Everything he did as a monk to seek a peace with God. We're talking, I think, on the way home the other day, early on. He didn't say he went to the monastery because he loved God. He hated God. Until Romans 16, 17, and the just shall live by faith, and God transformed his life through the gospel. And through that transformation of life, to be able to love God, serve God, even willing to die for the cross. What, what's the answer to avoiding, to avoiding religious hypocrisy? I'm sure I'm speaking for you. You're here, I believe. I would hope even for that reason this morning to hear the word and to grow in your love for God and your understanding of God. I hope that you would be able to say, if there's anything true, I want to be real for Christ. I don't want to be a phony. Would you say amen to that? 
say, I want to be real. I don't want to be a phony. I don't want to be one thing today and Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday be something else. I don't want to be one thing here among other people where we can say, how you doing, love you, brother, and boom, 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 and something else in the home. Something else at work. You want to be real. You want to be real for Christ. You want to be faithful for Him. How, how do you do that? Paul said it this way. I think it's possible. The goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere, I love that, a sincere faith. Paul describes the, the, the believer in the book of Colossians and he talks about the mystery of the gospel to the Gentiles. He sums it up this way. He says, it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ liveth in me. Oh, what a salvation this, that Christ lives in me. Real faith has to be a faith where you're growing in your knowledge of him, your love for him, and in the word of God that strengthens you in being real for him. Quote that I thought summed up Galatians so well, but I'm not done. I got next week too, amen? And it may go on beyond next week. Mm-hmm. Please, somebody just say, go on. go on. How do you mean that? Okay. What a great summation by Daniel Aiken. So here again is the question in the letter. It's the question for all of us here this morning. Ready? Is true faith, true religion about divine accomplishment or about human achievement? Isn't that well said? Write it down. Divine accomplishment or human achievement? If it's about human achievement, then praise the person. Glory be to me. I found Jesus. (laughs) I asked Jesus to save me. I did it all. You didn't do anything. You weren't looking for him. But he found you if you're in Christ. Human achievement. If, if it's human achievement, then praise the person. But if it's about divine accomplishment, then praise Jesus. For us, the application is clear. Either you glory in the flesh or you glory in Christ. Which one will you pick? Which one are you in today? If it's not in Christ, if it's not in Christ, please, he's the only way. Yesterday, somebody came to our house to um, sell us something. And it's a good thing I was there because Deborah will buy anything. (laughs) Pray for me on the way home. And he had a hat on. He had a hat on. It said 14.6, didn't he? It said 14.6. I thought, maybe this guy's a believer. I said, hey, what's the deal with the 14.6? He told me it was some famous bar or something. (laughs) I said, do you have a Bible? He said, I do. I said, will you do something for me? I'll take your pamphlet. You come back by with your pamphlet. If If you look up in your Bible, go to the Gospel of John. I said, did you go to Sunday school ever? He said, yeah. 
I said, find John. Find 14.6. Look up 14.6. Remember your hat in the Gospel of John. What do you say in that verse? I am the way, and I am the truth, and I am the life. Way for people who need direction. Truth for people who need answers. Life for people who are going to die. And no man comes to the Father, finish it with me, but by it's Jesus Christ. Divine accomplishment or human achievement? Yeah, pick one. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for our word, your word today. Thank you for it. Thank you for the way it's so straight, so clear. And these things that characterize these lost men, though we might be able to say, uh, oh, yeah, we'd never, we'd never boast in a, a false gospel, but we could easily boast in ourselves. I did this, what I'm doing, my convictions, my, and fail to boast in Christ. And next week we're going to drill down on that. And that's where Paul wants to end. Christ, what he's done. The one that, that is alive forevermore. And oh, one, one day stand before him. And may we be with Brian that points to Christ, our only hope of righteousness. We praise you that you've made that clear to us in your eternal word. And together we pray these things, and everyone would say, Amen.